I think they want you back, to be honest. Like, I think everybody wants you back, Pastor, uh, much more so than me. I, I would rather just sit and listen to Pastor preach today. I, I'll tell you what. But no, honestly, um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I feel like uh, I know all of you, uh, at least most of you. And it is, uh, you know, I sit, we, you know, I, I preach at different churches when I'm here in the States. And there's a couple that, um, you know, when I'm there, I sit. And I think, man, I would just love to be a regular part of this church family. And, and you are one of those few. Uh, so I just really, really appreciate you. Thank you for your partnership with us. If you didn't know, you are in one. Um, and you support us uh, on a regular basis. But also, uh, the church has recently given uh, some other gifts. Uh, one being your prayers, uh, but also... I uh, just want to appreciate some of you who have written to, uh, to me, letting me know that you're praying or, uh, you know, letting me know even your experience maybe with a tropical illness at some point in your life. It, it, you know, those things, we, we just appreciate that. Uh, and also, uh, you have recently given sort of a special gift from, from the missions uh, committee from the church uh, of, uh, toward a project that we're doing in Uganda uh, called the Otema Pastors uh, Training Center, and it is a. I just literally got a um, a text this morning from one of the builders, and uh, if you didn't know, that is under roof already. But the, the text that I got was a picture of the flooring that just got put down. So uh, we do praise the Lord for that, and we thank you uh, for your part uh, in that work. And and also, even if you didn't know this, last year. I think it was last summer, uh, a collection was taken during VBS uh, that uh, is, is going to help with that as well, getting some books over there uh, to be able to fill that library up for pastors to have as a resource. So, so um, again, Mike, my OC, Spread of Grace Ministries, and a couple things that have been going on, not only um, have we been doing that work in uh, Uganda with the Otema Center, but also, over the past year since I've been here, we have officially begun two other works, two brand new fields uh, since being here. And I want you to know about that. Uh, one is in Kenya. Uh, we are uh, just over the border from Uganda in a very rural area called Bungoma. And we have been seeing pastors, literally pastors, repent of not preaching the true gospel. We'll be there hammering them for, for a whole week on what is the true gospel. And if you're not aware, you know, most of the world, uh, much of the world, especially in Africa, are experiencing something called the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And so as we teach the true gospel, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, um, what we're finding is entire denominations repenting of not preaching the true gospel. It's so free, you know. Uh, we've also begun a new work in Sierra Leone, which is on the west coast of Africa. And if you uh, are paying attention to any world news at all, you'll know that this past week was a rough week in Sierra Leone. Uh, you know, costs of things are just skyrocketing, just like everywhere, but uh, they began to 
experienced some riots and things right in the area that many of our pastors are uh, and in an area that we do training. So I would ask you to pray for Sierra Leone. Uh, we are scheduled to do another training there in November. And, uh, you know, we want it to be a situation that it's safe for everybody to come and, and get that training. So I'd appreciate your prayers uh, for that uh, on top of everything else. So that's what's going on. And I do want uh, to show, we have a little video here uh, to give you sort of a picture of what's happening and what just happened in, uh, in Kenya. So if we could get that rolling, that'd be great. This is the first day of official training, the full-blown training for these guys in Kenya. Just explaining what God's Word says so they can completely understand. We've got about uh, 75, 80 students, and right now they're discussing the work of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. The word is now within our reach. People are responsive in the manner they are taking the word, and I think God is glorified. Today we are studying the principles of Bible study. The students are beginning in the book of Ezra, and I just love the sound. We have seen that we were laid on a very wrong foundation which has made us to defeat from the truth and preaching the gospel contrary to the right doctrine. So there's a bit of a picture of uh, you know what's been going on on the front lines. So thank you again uh, for for your part in that, for your prayers, uh, for you uh, being so generous in your partnership in the gospel. So we're going to be in Acts 13 today. So if you'd open up your Bible to Acts chapter 13, that verse that was at the end is really what we're going to focus in on this morning. Um, I want to praise the Lord today. When a, when a pastor in the church that he leads begins preaching the true gospel, as pastor said this morning, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, cannot prevail. And it's exciting 
to see things like you just saw. I mean, it is exciting to see. You know, we're, we're not, we didn't even call them to repentance. They recognized through their engagement with the true gospel on their own by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God that we must repent. Paul wrote this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And I I want to just say that, you know, I feel like a lot of my call or my work or job that God has directed me to do when I come back to the States is to remind American churches that that's still true. That is still true. We are seeing that when uh, a group like that embraces the true gospel, that things like this happen. That picture that you're seeing right there is in a little village called Dagopan. And it's in northern Uganda. And one of our young students there um, uh, has, his name's Ronald, he has gone out and preached the gospel along with some others, elders from his church, And this is what has happened. That particular day, our team preached the gospel to this group of people out there in the African bush. And you see that entire line of people kneeling in the front in that picture. All of those people responded to the gospel that morning. So yes, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's true on Uh, in the bush of Uganda, and it's true right here, right now, today. And today what I want to talk about, what God has really, I believe, led me to, to share, is this idea of responding to the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, Paul summarized the gospel like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said that Christ died for our sins. You see, that's the issue from the very core of the issue of the gospel is our sins. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, it was predicted long before Christ ever came to this, uh, came, came out of the glory of heaven, came down into humanity. It was predicted centuries before. And he died for our sins in accordance with those scriptures. And then Paul says that he, on the third day, he rose again in accordance also with the scriptures. In other words, that was predicted centuries before by our eternal God. So Christ died for our sins. He rose again. And and what's the significance of that? It's that because he rose again, that means that his death for our sins was sufficient before the almighty, eternal God to pay the price for your sins and my sins. His resurrection shows that there is an eternal hope for all of us that though our sins would lead to death, in separation, eternal separation from God, like we read in Jude this morning. Eternal destruction. That his resurrection means that you, if you would embrace, if you would receive this gospel, will have an eternal hope reserved in heaven for you. Because he lives, we can live. 
And Paul adds that he appeared. That he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. On the third day he rose again. And that he appeared. To many. And that appearance simply proved that he really rose from the grave. Just like his burial proved that he really died. His resurrection proves that. Or his appearance proves that he really rose. This is the gospel. It is the preaching of this gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified, that changes people. That transforms a sinner into a holy one, a saint. It is that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the only gospel that should be preached. Yet we find ourselves in an ocean of counterfeits, which have watered down that truth in the church. And I'm telling you, it's happened here in America as much as it has happened anywhere. Brothers and sisters, when we get the gospel right and we preach it, we will see a demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power. Because the very Word of God has power of its own. It will divide us from the world, but it will unite us together. Because this gospel that, that, that has just been summarized for you, it demands a response from everyone who hears it. And this morning we're going to look at three responses to the preaching of the true gospel here in Acts 13. So in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey. They had worked their way into this area called Antioch of Pisidia, which is in the region of Galatia. And Paul preached the gospel in Galatia. He tells us in in Galatians 4.13, he says that he preached the gospel there because of an illness. Okay? He had an illness that, for whatever reason, uh, caused him to be there in Galatia. And, uh, you know, some think that it was actually malaria that he had, which, uh, you know, as you hear my story, I I might have it right now. But uh, Paul viewed his sickness as an opportunity to preach this gospel. And boy, did he preach it. I mean, he preached it to Jews, Gentiles, right in the middle of the Jewish synagogue. And I want you to notice how all of the primary elements of the gospel that we just talked about, Christ dying for sin, burial, resurrection, and appearance, are all in how Paul presented it. I want you to look in chapter 13 of Acts in verse 26. Verse 26. Brothers, this is Paul's sermon to this group of people in the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia. Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. So that would be Jews and Gentiles. Those were those who feared God. Gentiles. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers. Because they did not recognize him, that's Christ. Or understand the utterances of the prophets. Remember, it was stuff written before, centuries before which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them. This is Christ. Fulfilled them by condemning. They they fulfilled 
these scriptures, by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, that's key to the gospel, you see. Christ was not guilty of sin. He bore our sins. All right? And they asked Pilate to have him executed. Wow, the death for our sins. Verse 29. And when they had carried all or carried out all that was written of him, you see, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Christ died for our sins and he was buried. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news. That's the word gospel. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Praise the Lord. This is the gospel. Paul proved the gospel in the next several verses by the Old Testament. He proved that uh, Christ's resurrection was predicted by David in the Psalms. And then he drove it home. And I want you to look in verse 36. He's driving it home for a response for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he, he died, he fell asleep, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, that's Jesus, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He's saying, this is before you right now. And here it comes. He's going to say, you need to respond. Look in verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Here's what he's saying. It's predicted that people are going to reject this. Be warned. Don't reject this message. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to this gospel that, that's just been presented to you this morning, that Paul presented to these people long ago? You know, lots of people... In, in, in this, uh, these moments, wanted to hear more. Look in verse 42. And they went out. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Does that describe your response to the gospel? You would, you would be begging to hear it again. To be hearing the depths of it. Look at verse 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The responses were really beginning to, to solidify. Okay, now look at verse 44. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were... Filled with 
jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to first to you. Who? Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Wow, that's like self-condemning, right? Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Oh boy. <laughs> for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The responses were taking shape. And this morning, this text is really revealing to us three responses to the preaching of the gospel. And the first one is pretty clear. The first response is to receive this gospel. To embrace it, to accept it, to believe it. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, heard what? Well, that this gospel was coming for them. Verse 47. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Verse 40 says, and, and verse 48 says that when the Gentiles heard this, heard what? The gospel, right? This gospel was specifically for them. I don't know if there's any Jewish heritage among us this morning, but, but listen to this. This gospel is for not only the Jews, but for the Gentiles, that, because God's grace is spreading to the whole world. This was big news, that, you, that Gentiles like us could be saved from God's wrath. That's a big deal. I mean, at the very beginning of Paul's sermon in verse 17, he began recognizing that the Jewish people were the chosen people of God. Everybody knew that. You know, Gentiles who recognized that, uh, who were God-fearing, especially understood that that the the, the Israelites were God's chosen nation. Throughout the Old Testament, you see it very, very clearly. This is God's chosen people. He chose their fathers. That through them, the Christ would come. If you were a Gentile standing there that day, on a Jewish Sabbath, in a Jewish synagogue, and were told... Verse 47, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You'd be leaping for joy. Verse 48 says that they began rejoicing. And that word rejoice is rooted in the word grace. It's a whole family of words in Greek that, that, that are rooted in the word grace. They were glad that God's grace had come to them. Are you glad like that? Do you rejoice like that? That you, an unworthy sinner deserving of the wrath of God, would be set free from sin? The text says in, in verse 47 that they were glorifying the word of the Lord. They were, literally the word is doxazo, that, that they were doxologizing the word. How is it that we would doxologize, glorify God's word? 
Well, it is glorified when we receive it, when we accept it as what it truly is, not just some preaching of a man, but what it actually is, the very living, breathing word from God. And we submit to its teaching. That's exactly how the Gentiles of Antioch responded. The end of verse 48 tells us why they responded. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Brothers and sisters, that's a profound statement. The word appointed there that that Luke used to describe what happened was a military word. And it meant to assign somebody to a post. Be like, okay, private, you're going over there. That's your post. I'm appointing you to this. God assigned Gentiles to eternal life. That's the post. It's in, in this word, I, I know you didn't come here for a grammar lesson, but it's really important. <laughs> okay. In Greek, this is in a tense called the, the perfect tense, which means that it is something that occurred in the past that has enduring results, okay? So it's something that happened before that has these enduring results that go with it. So here's what that implies, that the appointing, okay, came before the believing. You catching that? The appointing came before the believing, and eternal life is the enduring result. As many as were appointed to eternal life, clink, believed. Because the appointing had already happened. They believed because God had already assigned them to this post of eternal life. Here's the irony, okay? Here's the irony to me. Uh, It pleases God. You'd say, like, okay, well, why doesn't God just snap his fingers and make it happen? Well, it's, it's ironic. God, it pleases God through the foolishness of something called preaching to save those who believe. Romans 10 says this, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And who does the sending? God does the sending, right? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God appoints to eternal life. He sends the preacher and the appointed one believes upon the preaching. God alone, you can see, is in command of this thing. Now, some people may be scratching their heads and say, well, how do I know I'm appointed? Do you believe? Then guess what? You've been appointed to eternal life. I remember several years ago, I had a young, young guy who was so confused by these things, and, and we just opened up to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ was sent into the world 
to pay the price for your sins. Yes. Guess what? (laughs) You've been appointed to eternal life. In May, we were in Sierra Leone, and we were out at this sporting event when uh, one of our students asked me, and we were in this whole crowd, he's like, what do you want to do? And I said, why? I'm standing here, like, let's go preach the gospel. Okay. So we get this little group together and said, hey, we want to share something with you. And this, of course, you know, it's a couple of white guys, so we're like the novelties there uh, in the middle of, you know, uh, 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 African folks. Like, you know, there's not many white people in Sierra Leone. So, you know, we're kind of like walking through some bizarre scene, and, and there we are. And so they gather around, and they listen to what we and, and our uh, African brothers had to say. So we share the gospel, and uh, there's a man standing there just shaking his head like this in agreement. Shaking, it, shaking his head like this. And I'm thinking, oh, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, he's a Christian. We offer an opportunity for them to respond, and that man responded to the gospel for eternal life. His name was Muhammad, and he was a Muslim from the time of his whole life until that day, where we recognize that because he believed even Muhammad had been appointed to eternal life. It didn't take any convincing. It didn't take me us arguing. It didn't take coercion. We just shared the gospel of Christ. And it took a sovereign God using the preaching of the gospel. And when we preach the gospel, the appointed will believe. And the word will be spread. Look at verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. You know, the first thing that I told Muhammad to do the night that he received Christ was to go tell his wife and kids what had happened. To tell them the same news that he heard. The spreading of the gospel is proof of the actual belief in the gospel. Have you received the gospel like that, my friends? I would urge you today that as you're sitting there, if you are sensing the conviction of your sin before the almighty, holy God, and you're recognizing today that his son's death paid for your sins, I invite you to receive that. Because not only did he die for your sins, but he rose again that you could have eternal life and be forgiven of your sins. That that even trying to obey this, You cannot do this on your own. You cannot do enough good before God on your own. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why Jesus rose from the grave. And I would invite you to receive that today. Well, there's a second response that we see here pretty clearly uh, in verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Look, response number two is this. You can reject this message. If you're not going to receive it, you will be rejecting it. For many of the Jews listening in Antioch that day, their response had already been solidifying through jealousy. We read it in the previous verses. They began to contradict the gospel. They, they even began to blaspheme in verse 45. 
In verse 50, they incited the leaders of the city to persecute the preachers to the point that they drove Paul and Barnabas literally out of their district. This was serious rejection because, mind you, almost the whole city, in verse 44, had gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This was a big rejection. A lot of people were rejecting this just as there were a lot of people receiving it. This was not rejection of the word of men. This was outright rejection of the word of God, the gospel, which is rejection of Jesus Christ, which is rejection of God himself. So if today you are hearing this message and you are choosing to resist, you are choosing to reject this message, you are not rejecting me, you are not rejecting Pastor Paolo, you are rejecting the most holy, awesome, powerful, special being in all the universe, the creator of all that is, you're rejecting God Almighty. They denied it. They refused it. Sought to eliminate it from their hometown by driving out the preachers. Maybe you'll decide to do that to me after I'm done here. They, you know, it must have left a mark on Paul because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, he's writing Timothy who's struggling, just struggling in ministry. And Paul says, he talks about his persecutions and sufferings that happened to him in Antioch. Must have left a mark. This is what true rejection of the gospel looks like. Rejectors of the gospel, they, they don't rejoice in it. They're, they're not grateful for it. They're not honoring it as the word of God. They're not glorifying it. They certainly don't believe it. Instead, there's jealousy, contradiction, blasphemy, and even sometimes persecution. Now remember that you know, the Jews were the ones doing this. These were, these were supposed to be the righteous people. These are supposed to be the chosen ones of God. These are the religious people. And indeed, you know, I have found in, in my experience, and I'm sure maybe some of you, that it is often the most religious who are the greatest, most vehement rejectors of God's truth. Just because someone is religious does not mean that they have received the gospel. In Mexico, it's the Catholic Church who, out of jealousy, persecutes those who, are, who embrace the true gospel. In Africa, it's those who embrace this idea of the prosperity gospel who truly do persecute pastors who do not preach the way that they preach. you don't receive the gospel, you're rejecting God. And there's a reason. It's the very reason for the gospel. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. It doesn't matter who you are. This work of the gospel utterly depends on the work of God and not upon you and me. For there is, for, there is no distinction. All have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God himself put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That means that God has done all that is necessary to save. And he did it like this so that he would be not only the one who is just, but the one who is the justifier of anyone who would have faith in Jesus. You see, In other words, that everything, utterly, in this work of the gospel, this is why it's such good news, that God himself has done everything necessary to save you. Would you believe it? Would you receive it? Or would you reject it? Oh, how I just urge you again today to repent of your rejection of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, there's a third response. You know, I'm a preacher, so I have to have three points. Um, So uh, the third response today that we're going to see is this. The first two, by the way, were from the hearer's perspective, right? Those who heard this gospel message either received or rejected it. But this third one is from the preacher's perspective. And you know what the preachers did? They're driven out of town, right? But you know what they did? Their response to this preaching of the gospel was to preach the gospel. You see. Here it is. So I'm preaching to myself right now. Paul and Barnabas were contradicted. They were persecuted. They were driven out of town. You know, it's like a good Western. This town ain't big enough for the two of us, you know. Now, for most of us, how would we respond to the persecution? I mean, seriously, how would we do it? I mean, I, you know, if I'm honest, I, I, oh, God, why me? Nobody likes me. We'd have our tail between our legs, many of us. Moping our way out of town. That's not what Paul and Barnabas did. I want you to look in verse 51. So as they drove them out in verse 50, verse 51 says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. You know, to shake off the dust from their feet was a Jewish custom. When departing a Gentile town, they, they didn't want to contaminate their feet even with the dust of these dirty people, with their sinful, filth, paganism. So they shook off the dust from their feet. But here, the preachers do it to them, to the very people who designed this idea, this custom. They shake off their feet to the Jewish rejectors. And here's the irony of it. The Gentiles were those who received the word. By this gesture, Paul and Barnabas were saying, Hey, Jewish rejectors, you're acting like the pagans. The the, the Gentiles are acting like the believers, like the chosen ones, the appointed ones from God. Do you know what they did then? Look in verse 51, or excuse me, 52, or the end of verse 51. 
and they went to Iconium. You see that? What do they do in Iconium? Well, they waltzed straight into the next synagogue and they preached the gospel. Look in 14, verse 1. Now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. After a valiant preaching in, in Iconium, guess what happened? Another group got jealous. Another group rose up and they revolted against them. And even in verse, chapter 14, verse 5, they were ready to stone the preachers. What did the preachers do? Chapter 14, verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. They moved to the next town, and there they continued to preach the gospel. The fruit of this perseverance was obvious. I want you to look in verse 52, back in chapter 13, verse 52. You know, so they go on, and they preach in the next town, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The missionaries left disciples of Jesus in their wake, filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know it's true because they're undergoing persecution. And they're hanging on to their faith. They've really received it. They have truly embraced it. They were truly appointed. What greater confidence can come from a preacher, come for a preacher, excuse me, than to realize that God has appointed you to preach and that before you ever go to preach, God has already appointed those to eternal life who are going to believe it and that those who are appointed would, would not only believe, that, but that they would begin to have a transformed life that would be filled with joy, eternal joy, and with the Holy Spirit that would totally change the way that they live. From living like idolaters to living faithful to the true and living God. Wow. You know, I, I'm going to be honest this morning. I, I've, my wife has heard me say this. This is so true. But I'm the worst missionary advertisement that could be. Okay? I'm standing before you, still dealing with some sickness I got, who knows when, but I've been dealing with since May. I'm sick a lot. Constantly away from my family. It's just so nice that they're here today, to be honest. I praise the Lord that they're here. Traveling to remote, hot, bug-infested places. I mean, you know, in May, I got up in the middle of the night, in the middle of Sierra Leone, and I went to the bathroom. I just wanted to go to the bathroom. And I'm on my way to the bathroom, and I slipped on something. And I looked down, and it was a roach. We, we've, had, you know, we've had people walk out of trainings because they can't accept this truth of the gospel. They, they, and, and I mean, we, we sat and argued with some who just couldn't let go of the prosperity gospel. But, you know, the Holy Spirit compels us through his word, realizing that this mission we are on has very little to do with us at all. 
God has appointed people to eternal life. His gospel has the power to transform people. And he sends the preachers. We didn't even have a choice in that. To deliver his message. And that's why we keep responding to the gospel. That's why people like Paul and Barnabas would just go on to to Iconium, go on to, to Lystra and Derby, and continue to preach the gospel. In March, we were training pastors in Kenya about the need. You saw this video. We were training pastors about the need to preach the true gospel. And, and you saw in, in that video how this whole group of them, on their own, I remember so vividly, one of them stood up in the middle of that meeting. We, we actually had just read Jude. We had read about false teachers and what they're like. And one of them stood up and they said this. They said, you know what? We're talking about the false teachers out there, but the false teachers are in here. We are the false teachers. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just standing there going, whoa. And quite frankly, I just sat down. That's the Spirit of God using the Word of God to do the work of God in the people of God for the glory of God. So then we... After seeing all that, you know, we head out, and, and it was late, later in the evening. We, had, we were still waiting for our dinner, and I, and I just, it had been a long day, and I said to Pastor Jimmy, who's up there on the picture, uh, he's the preacher guy. <laughs> I said, Pastor Jimmy, I just want to take a walk. Can we just take a walk? I said, sure. So we went out through town, and, and we came to this area that was huge field with this huge tents put about and, and also this, this enormous like stage area. And there were these preachers up there just spewing out the sludge of a false gospel, the prosperity gospel. There was a woman rolling on the ground down at the, the bottom claiming to, to have, be demon-possessed, and, and maybe she was. There was another woman off to the side who was against her will being drug up to the front. This was like an absolute spectacle of chaos. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're telling everyone, just speak in tongues, just do, you know, do this, do that, all this. Stuff. Not one word of the gospel. And there we stood, and I just said to Pastor Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, I've, just, I've heard enough. I mean, it took the Holy Spirit to give me the self-control not to walk up on that stage and just rip the microphone out of that guy's hand and say, just stop and let me tell you the gospel. And who knows, one day I might just do that. But that day, I said, Jimmy, I've heard enough. Let's go. So we turned around and we started walking back and we noticed this whole line of men sitting back on this uh, railroad track that was like all the way at the back, and they were just sitting there away from the crowd, but just listening, listening, watching all this chaos happen. And we're going up to him, and I'm just, I said, Jimmy, let's just preach the gospel to these guys. And so we start preaching the gospel to these couple of guys, and, and as, as we did that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, sitting there, I'm sitting there praying for Jimmy, because we have to speak it in Swahili, and Jimmy, it's like probably his fifth language, so it's like down on the food chain of his memory, okay? And, and he's like fighting for the words, and I'm praying that God would help him to remember Swahili and so he can preach the gospel, and, and there we are. And, you know, all in the meantime, the church back in the States is praying for us that the word of God would speed ahead 
and do its work and be glorified. And so there we are. Jimmy's preaching. All of a sudden, you know, they're shaking their head. And he goes, wait a minute. Do you know English? Yeah, we know English. <laughs> and so then back and forth, Jimmy and I sharing the gospel. And, and, and a crowd starts to grow around us. Meanwhile, they're literally looking over our shoulders, listening to, seeing the false teachers. And, and, and we're able to say, you know, what you're hearing here is not the gospel. Let us tell you the gospel. And I want to tell you something. That day, a handful of those guys that day believed the gospel. They received the gospel right there. And all on their own, you know what they did? They got up and they left the false teaching. And I had one guy that grabbed me and he said, Mike, Mike, Mike. I don't even know if he knew my name at that point. He just got my attention. <laughs> Probably called me white guy. All right. Mazungu, Mazungu, Mazungu. That's the word. Mazungu, yes. Can, can this be true? This what they're saying, this promise that if, if I believe right now there's going to be money on my phone, deposited in my account. I said, listen, we're not bringing that message. No, it's not true. But the gospel is true, and let me tell you. That man, it was just like Jimmy came over, and he described it like this. He said it was just like the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. God had prepared him ahead of time. That at that time, that day, he was going to hear God's word, and he would respond. All those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Oh, that we would receive the gospel. Oh, that we would not reject it. And oh, that we would preach it. Father, this morning, I thank you for these wonderful people. God, um, whom I'm assuming have received the word. But Father, you know. You're the reader of hearts. There could be someone here who's been religious all their life who never really embraced the gospel for real. And I would ask for that one that today they would respond, that you would give them the gift of belief. And God, I pray for you to remind that one that today Jesus Christ died for their sins. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And he appeared all in fulfillment of your plan and your scripture. God, for those of us who have begun to believe that the gospel is not the power of God for salvation, I pray, God, that you would help our unbelief. And that despite what we may see around us, that we would not fail to preach it. Because this world, at any time in history, needs it now. And dear God, you have not taken us home yet, so we have to only assume that there are more that you have determined from the foundation of the world to believe in this gospel. What confidence it gives to us, God, that when we preach it, we're not doing this on our own. This is all a work of you. God, it just drives us to want to preach it more. I pray that, dear God, you would remind us of the great privilege it is just to be able to preach the gospel. 
We thank you and we praise you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.